following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Let's hear God's holy and errant word as it is written in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here ends the reading. Last week, I did something very risky by saying what I was planning on preaching on the following week when it wasn't part of a series I was already on, and I'm happy to announce I'm, I'm keeping my word, and we are going to be talking about the end times. But what I did get wrong is what in the world was I thinking when I said we would spend one week on the end times, then go on to something else. <laughs> As I got into the subject matter, I thought, no, I there's no way that I could cover this sufficiently in, in one message. And so I'm planning for the next two or three weeks. We're going to see how it goes. Um, and so we're going to be starting off. The, the question that I'm going to seek to answer this morning is the question, are we in the end times? Because that seems to be on the minds of many people. This happens throughout history uh, when 
we find ourselves, when the church and society finds ourselves in difficult times, there's been a disaster, there's been a major political upheaval, people are wondering, could this be the end times? You may or may not be aware, this has also happened when times have become very good, because there's two basic ways of thinking with regard to what's going to happen before the Lord returns. One view is things are going to get very, 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 very bad. And the other view is that things are going to get very, 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 very good. I know for a lot of us, that's a hard one to understand. uh, But if you read Christian history and historical theology, you'll see that is the case. Um, And so... I am going to attempt to answer the question, are we in the end times? So we're going to deal with that um, question this week. And then um, at least uh, next week and the week after, um, I'm going to try to attempt to to answer if we are in the end times, what should our response be? Which might give away the answer to the question that I'm trying to answer. Anyway. Trying to see if you're paying attention. Anyway, the first thing we need to do in order to answer the question, are we in the end times, is we need to understand a a particular biblical concept, which is called the age to come. We need to understand this first. And this is an idea that emerged from the Old Testament, that history, biblically speaking, is divided into two parts. There's this evil age when the world is corrupted by sin and death, and the age to come when peace would be established, death would be defeated, and God would reign. We see this language in the New Testament. Matthew 12, verse 32 reads, And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And that might spark your interest in what the unforgivable sin is, but that'll have to wait for another time. Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21 says that God seated him, seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so that's how um, many in the first century Jewish world understood what the Bible taught about about what we now call history. That ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the world has been cursed. We've been under the oppression of sin and the devil. And there eventually emerged the idea that one day God would restore all things and he would rule and he would, and I've mentioned that already, I'm, I'm repeating myself, and he would make all things right. And that became known as the age to come. So what, what's the end times? First of all, the term end times, of course that's English, right? It's not Greek, it's not Hebrew. You knew that already. The term end times does not appear anywhere in the King James Version, in the New American Standard Bible, in the New International Version or the English Standard Version. English, in the English, you will not find the term end times, which makes me kind of scratch my head. 
because Christians love to talk about the end times as, as if it, it's, it's this, this Bible thing. Now, it, what it's dealing with is a Bible thing, but it, I do find it instructive that the, the term end times isn't actually used. In the current edition of the New International Version, however, it does use it in its headings. I have commented on that before. I'm not a big fan of headings. They are helpful, but they've been added by the, the editors and publishers of, of English Bibles to make finding our way around the Bible easier. But they're interpretive, just like the verse numbers, just like the chapter numbers and some of these things. Some of them are helpful. Some of them are not helpful. It's interesting to me that the term end times doesn't appear, and yet they would provide this for Christians as if it's actually said that way like the Bible. The term that's actually used uh, in the scriptures, which is found in the passage that was read for us earlier in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, the actual term is last or latter days. It doesn't appear all that often, but it does appear. Well, what then is the last or latter days? It's a period of history, start again, a period of history intimately associated with the age to come and culminates with its inauguration. Oh, Pastor Allen, you are using big words. Yes, because I want to impress you. I will now explain. I am not trying to impress you. It's like, uh, I remember once I was using some Hebrew words in my uh, in a talk that I gave and I and I felt compelled to tell the people I just told them like, yeah, I used three different Hebrew terms and I just told them all the Hebrew words I knew because I, I don't want I don't get what people I don't want to give people um, impression that I'm more of an expert than I am I really don't also on top of that I only think there's one expert in the world that's God everybody else is simply trying some of them aren't even trying Let's move on. Um, and so the Bible clearly speaks about this evil age. And I'm not saying this is the evil age. I'm going to explain that a little further. But that's the terminology. This evil age and the age to come. When Jesus came, that was fixed in the minds of the Jewish people. The idea of the last or latter days is a period of time that leads up to the age to come. So the age to come is when God restores the, uh, the creation, the new heavens and the new earth, the various passages that speaks about that time after the judgment, when everything is made right again, and even better than it was before. That's the age to come. This age is, is that time period that's basically... Um, completely in the grips of Satan and sin and death. The last days or the latter days is the lead up to the age to come. And so there was an idea that there would be things that would be happening that were bringing in the age to come. So let's look at a last days passage. Isaiah chapter 2. I'm reading uh, verses 2 through 4. Now will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief among of the mountains, and it will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, 
to the house of the God of Jacob, so he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will mediate for many peoples, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. And this this is more of a age-to-come passage, but it's speaking about the transition from the bad times to the good times, the process of, of, of swords being transformed into agricultural farm tools, swords into plowshares. So there will be a time when this time will become that time. And that period of time, the lead up to the age to come, that's what the Bible speaks of as the last days, which is what has been become commonly known as the end times. It's the lead up period to the reign of God. So that was an Old Testament uh, passage. Let's look at an, uh, the last days in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, Jesus as the Messiah, is regarded, correctly so, as the one to usher in the age to come. That is what the Messiah was supposed to do. We were in the evil age. We knew that um, um, that God was going to make everything right. Who was the one who was going to bring that about? Was the Messiah. Jesus, as the Messiah, therefore, is the person who would bring about the age to come. Therefore, his his arrival would be regarded as the last days, because he's the one who ushers in the transitional period between the evil age and the age to come. And so this is the background, their understanding of Jesus as the one who was ushering in the last days, the last days being the transitional period unto the age to come. This is why the disciples asked him a question about judgment and his return. We read in Matthew 24 that Jesus left the temple area and was going on his way when his disciples came up to the they had to point out the temple buildings to him. That's um, verse 1 of, of Matthew 24, and continuing. But he responded and said to them, Do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, but will, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Notice, they made no differentiation. They made no difference in their minds between judgment coming, in particular upon the temple, and his return. They just, they put it all together in their question. And if we had time, we might look at this more closely another week. When Jesus answers the question about the destruction of the temple and his return, which we now know well, his return hasn't happened yet, so it's at least a 2,000-year gap to fulfill the whole answer to the whole question, right? Because they asked about two things, the destruction of the temple and his return. They put it all together in their minds, 
And when Jesus answers the question, he doesn't differentiate one from the other. The answer that he gives them about the temple's destruction and about his return, you read it, it sounds like he's talking that it's all going to happen at the same time. Looking back, we know that's not the case. But there's something about judgment, um, the, to- the time we're in, the judgment of God, the return of the Lord, the ushering in of the age to come, that's all put together in the teaching of Jesus in terms of the time period that we're in. Now, after Jesus rises from the dead and he spends time teaching the disciples, he ascends to heaven and tells them to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That happens, as you know, the day of Pentecost, the Jewish festival Shavuot in Hebrew. Isn't that impressive? Shavuot. Um, and, um, and so they're all talking in other languages and the crowds are wondering what's going on. And, and here's Peter's answer that he gives to them. He says in Acts 2, starting at verse 16, but this, 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 I'm Peter now. Everyone is talking in other languages. The crowds think we're drunk. And I love his answer. How can you say we're drunk? It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But they understood that. They wouldn't have been drunk that early in the day, I guess. Um, And he says, you want to know what's going on? I'm going to tell you what's going on. Acts 2, verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be declared, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I, shall, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's talking, he's saying that when Joel predicted that something would happen in these last days or latter days, is how both the Hebrew and the Greek should be translated, he's saying that which is prophesied is happening now. And you might say, well, okay, I can see how some of this is happening now. What about the the wonders of heavens above and the blood and fire and the moon turning to blood? There's a possibility he's doing one of two things. Either he's doing the same idea where he's, if I can use the technical term, mush. He's mushing together the whole time period that's going to culminate with with these very dramatic heavenly happenings of, of moon turning to blood and so on. Or it's a case of where very dramatic language is used in the scripture to talk about something very, very dramatic. It's very difficult to get more dramatic than God's spirit being poured out upon God's people and making them all prophets. That's age to come kind of, 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 that's age to come kind of, when I say stuff. This is the sort of thing that's expected when everything's going to be made right. 
and yet it's happening before the final judgment and the full restoration. So what one of the things Peter's saying here pretty clearly, this he's saying this is the last days. This is first century, 2,000 years ago. That which was expected, the things that were going to usher in the complete restoration of God, it's happening now. Now we know we've got a, we've got a problem because up until that time, the idea was that there was these two separate periods of history, the evil age and the age to come. And the idea was Messiah would come and bring the transition from one to the other. Wham, bam, boom, like that. That's what they thought. But it hasn't happened that way. And yet, there are key elements of what has happened whereby the expectations of the age to come are these things are already being are being experienced in this age where people are still getting sick and they're still dying and they're still evil and they're still injustice and there's still wars and yet the blind see and the lame walk the, that is supposed to be age to come stuff, not this evil age stuff. Hope you're not offended by me using the word stuff. So what, in, in groping and trying to grasp how do we explain this, and I've, I've shared this a while ago with you, there's this idea of the now but not yet. That with the coming of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we have a down payment of our future inheritance. And it's a very substantial one. We have complete, unhindered access to God. The book of Hebrews teaches us that. We have the, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's very real. God speaks to his people. We are fully forgiven. How could that, we still sin and yet we're forgiven. How could that be? Because Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has brought in the, the, the aspects of the age to come into our lives now. The other aspect, and we looked at this a little bit when we went through 1 John, is with the coming of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we have been thrown into a great cosmic battle. We saw that when Jesus came, all of a sudden Jesus comes and all of a sudden the demons are popping up left, right and center. And, and, it's, and these statements, even from the demons, like, it's, are you going to, uh, are you going to um, um, make me suffer before the, the time? That's not a direct quote, but it's that kind of idea. Like they knew what time it was because the Messiah had shown up and they're kind of going wild and he's casting them out. Signs of the age to come and people are being set free. And here's a good one. The nations are coming to the God of Israel. This is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about the end times and the ushering in of the age to come. Again, it was thought it was going to happen in a much quicker fashion. And so, there, again, that's back to some of the good stuff, but it also creates this incredible battle. 
See, when the nations were in darkness and God was focusing most of his attention, in a sense, on the nation of Israel, things were kind of calm in a sense. But once the gospel starts to go into the nations, people are burning their magic books and they're turning from idols. This is this is war. This is spiritual war. And we've been in spiritual a spiritual war for the past 2000 years. So I've been trying, I've been alluding to the fact that I think, according to the Bible, that we have been in the last days for the past 2,000 years. And I just to go to what we read earlier to show that it's pretty clear that's exactly what Paul thought. Now we're going to come back to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 in a couple of weeks. But it's an important passage because he says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And then people look at that passage and about lovers of self and lovers of money and they go, look at the world we're in. Look how terrible it's getting. People are becoming more selfish and more greedy and only thinking about themselves. I agree with you, that's true. And it sounds like that what's happening now is exactly what Paul was predicting that was going to happen. Except, and I, I think that's true, but except... In verse 5, well, I'll lead up to it. People are going to be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. Avoid such people. Now, how is Timothy going to avoid such people if he's talking about 2021? Paul, it, the thing that messes us up with this passage is it says, but understand this, verse 1, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. So it sounds like he's saying, one day in the distant future, these things will happen. But it's simply an expression. He's saying that this is what's going to be happening, Timothy. He's writing a letter to his younger protege, his student, his companion, and he's encouraging him as a pastor in knowing how to deal with the challenges that he's facing. And so that's why he says, avoid such people, because these people in the list, this horrible list, when Renata began reading it, I thought, what a passage to share with people Sunday morning. Um, it gets better near the end, but it's really, really negative. Um, but that was the situation that Timothy was facing. And this situation of the greeniness of people, self-seeking and sinfulness and taking advantage of others and manipulation and evil, this has been what anyone who has been seeking to serve God and please God and teach his word has had to deal with for the past 2,000 years. That's why Timothy need to know what Paul was teaching here, and we need to know what Paul is teaching here. And so, as, as, I, as I close up, we need to um, come to grips with how to relate to this thing called the last days days that we've been in for the past 2,000 years. Because we are in the lead-up to the Lord's return. We've been in that state, we the church, for the past 2,000 years. But has the church been listening to its master? Has the church been listening to what Jesus really teaches? Are we listening to the word of God? And I've been I told you I was so challenged in going through 1 John. It is 
The warnings there are so great. They're so serious. The threat of false teaching is a real thing. I've met people who are obsessed with it. We shouldn't be obsessed with it. But we need to make sure we're sticking to the teachings of the Word of God. Matthew 24, verses 36 to 51, it's a section that began with the questions about judgment and and the Lord's return. We read beginning verse 36. Jesus is speaking. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be in the coming uh, be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. and would not have left his house, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If I had the time, I would bring out quote after quote book after book, sermon after sermon, from teacher after teacher who has tried to tell the people of God, we know when the Lord is coming. Jesus said, you can't do it. Don't do it. You don't know. You're not going to figure it out because the Son of Man is going to come at a time that you don't expect. Oh, no, they say. Now that we have the whole Old Testament, they say, we, we can figure it out, they say. I was told that personally many, many years ago. Some of the most popular Christian books about the end times, a term that's not even in the Bible, that have sold millions and millions of copies, have told us the time. And somehow, some of these people have survived being wrong and have sold more million million copy-selling bestsellers. Those of you listening to the audio, you're going to have to watch the video because I'm speechless. (laughs) Really? Come on, people! I think... The Bible-believing evangelical church has a real problem because one of the things that makes us different from other church traditions is we say that our faith and life is solely based on the Bible. And that's come out of the Reformation where we rejected the authority of tradition. And yet... We do it again and again and again. And the thing that makes it more serious for us is we do the same thing that every other Christian group does. We put our traditions over the word of God. At least these other traditions, other groups and communities, they know they're doing it. And they say they're doing it. 
We have our traditions, and they're just as important as the Bible. But we say no. We say it's the Bible that we believe. We stand on the word of God alone. We sing it. We say it. We teach it. But do we really believe it? I try to. I'm aware that I probably have a heap of things, love my technical language, a heap of things that I ascribe to and believe that really isn't scripture. My heart, however, is when I open the, open the Bible, is that I will lay before God what I think and that he, not that he needs my permission, but I want him to correct me where I am holding things that I've made up, that I've bought into, that I prefer, that's not really the Bible. Just watch, I'm probably going to get hit with a hard one this coming week, because that often happens when I say things like, like this in, in, in public, but so be it, because we are correct to say that our life and practice must be solely based on the scriptures. Jesus said, we do not know when he will return. Now, does this mean, therefore, we shouldn't care about whether we're in the last days or the end times, whatever you want to call it? No, it's the exact opposite. Whether it's World War II, or it's COVID, or it's 9-11, or it's the, uh, the Great Depression, or it's the modern missionary movement, or whatever it, it, it is, what difference should any of those things make to how we live? Oh, I better get my act together because I think we're really in the end times. What have we been doing all this time? And we're going to look further at that, at the Lord's encouragement, at how the, God's people should always be living. It shouldn't matter if the Lord's coming back tomorrow, next week, or in, in 50 years. We're called to obey him now, not a little bit. There should be no difference. And so we should always be living with the expectancy. Well, um, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking and talking at the same time. We should be always living with the expectancy of his coming today. And for those of you who might get hit by a truck today, I don't wish it upon you, but today's your last day. Get with it. And that is the way we should be living. And it's one of the things that, if I may say, has been driving me crazy about this COVID time. Like what? Did death just get invented with COVID-19? Like where have we been? Oh no, we've got to do everything to preserve our lives. What? So you can get a longer vacation before God judges you and sends you no, you know where? I remember really struck me. Um, I, I, I got a, um, I don't know if I told this before, but a, a man from southern Ontario who goes to a Dutch Reformed church uh, who reads my weekly writings called Torah Bites, uh, emailed, uh, reached out to me, and we ended up talking on the phone. Somebody gave him a podcast from some Orthodox Jewish people who live in the West Bank. And he wanted to know what I thought about it. I don't listen, and these two rabbis talking, I don't listen to rabbi podcasts. And, um, and as was mentioned before the service started, I'm busy. And so I'm very selective with what I spend t time doing. But 
it was a special request and okay, I'll check it out. And uh, he didn't have anybody else to ask. And so these two, this was spring 2020, COVID is still kind of new. Um, I remember it was during early restrictions when there were signs saying you had to, you couldn't stop for a moment through the park. Remember that one? And all the playgrounds were closed down and you had pictures of these officers, you know, saying, move along, move along, don't stop. But I'm only tying my shoe um, kind of thing. And, and it was during those days. And, um, and so I'm, I'm listening uh, to the podcast while I'm walking. And one of these two rabbis said something that his wife had told him. And it was, don't pray that COVID is taken away until we learn the lesson that God is trying to teach us. Now, whether she's correct or not, there's some there's something in there. What is God teaching us? But we are so wrapped up in what the the government issues and and medical issues and self-preservation and self-preservation could also be. I know we're supposed to love our families, but we're so wrapped up. Got to keep us safe. Got to keep us safe. Where is that one? Got to keep us safe. I can't find it. Everyone who seeks to serve God, according to the, what the passage we read, 2 Timothy 3, will be persecuted. We need to be talking about how to endure. We need to be talking about how to serve God. We need to be talking about how to be prepared for His coming by being a holy people. We need to be, learn how to share the, the truth with other people and then what to do when we get serious pushback. That's what we should be spending our time doing. We need to engage the cosmic battle. That is what the Lord taught the early disciples. That's what he's teaching us today. And the good news is, Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority, says Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Those are his marching orders. COVID, no COVID. War, no war. This is what we've been commanded to do, that we are to go and serve him in the ways that he calls us to, knowing that he's got this. King Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth, and we can trust him. And so therefore, we can serve him with confidence. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Maybe some of us aren't thankful that we're living in times such as these. But that's not our choice. You knew that we'd be facing these days. Many of us are overwhelmed and afraid about the COVID situation. We're very agitated and anxious about the political situation. Help us to remember that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to your son. Help us to remember the environment in which he walked and lived, the environment in which he sent his disciples into. Father, forgive us for thinking that our situation is the real bad one, that our situation is the one in which things are truly out of control. Your word says that the righteous live by their faith. 
Forgive us, Father, for when we've been people of unbelief and not faith. We pray that you would show us how to be faithful servants of yours, your children, in these confusing and challenging times. Help us to remember that everything is in your hands. But also help us to be wise. Yes, the age to come is broken through, but we are still in the time between the times, and evil does seem to have the upper times very often, upper hand very often. Show us, Lord, how to navigate the evil world in which we live and how to be your emissaries of blessing in these dark times. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.